0: Interested in upgrading or downgrading your home? First-time buyer? TPS, DACA, or ITIN? Not a problem. Call or text Yamilet Estrada with the MG team at Rowe Real Estate for all your real estate needs at 479-616-8854.
1: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the District 3 podcast. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I'm Manny, and I am joined with Irvin, uh, and I'm, we're here with our guest, uh, Drew Davenport. What's up, guys?
2: Hey, how are you? <laughs> How's
0: everybody doing? snowing <laughs> outside? Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. Enjoying the first snow of the year. The first snow, well, uh, in a few years, actually. Um, you know, it's I, been I- like six years, hasn't it? Yeah, that's actually me and Drew were talking about that right before he said he got a time hop um, from his social media saying that it's been six years since we had snow. So that's funny that you say it.
0: Um, Yeah, it's, I mean, it's about time. You know, I feel like there's years that pass by that we're just kind of waiting for snow to fall and nothing ever happens. So it's a good thing. Um, And I think people kind of need to stay away from each other right now just because of the (laughs) pandemic. So hopefully this doesn't cause people to kind of have like more indoor parties and stuff and spread the virus even more, even though we're so close to the vaccine, though. I mean, did you have you all seen those videos going out already of, like, the vaccine going out on semi-trucks around yeah. the country? Yeah,
2: I was watching that this morning. That was crazy that there was so much media attention to FedEx trucks pulling out of facilities with, you know, vaccines with armed guards. But uh, very, very exciting, I think, for everybody.
1: Yeah, and now I'm finally getting uh, getting to see, like, people post on social media that, whether they're gonna take it or not so like i'm i'm getting to differentiate the people now it's like come on we all live through this don't become an anti-vaxxer all of a sudden like and i
0: feel like one not the for the most part young folks will kind of be last in the list right it's going to be more the uh the ones that have their immune system compromised or older folks that will have they'll be first in line um i, I believe that's what i read
1: that's what we hope um I, I had talked to, I, Arkansas is one of the states where all the nurses have to get the, a shot, a vaccine shot. Um, in Arkansas, it's, it, it's not voluntary for a nurse to get the flu shot, um, the flu vaccines every year. So they're gonna implement the coronavirus vaccine in a similar way. Um, so they'll probably be the first round um which makes sense those frontline healthcare workers they should be those first people
0: interesting and i forgot to introduce myself but this is Irvin. um (laughs) and with us today i know that Manny already introduced um drew but drew has is an attorney that's been active with us like um in the immigrant organizing community since like i believe 2010 since the beginning I i believe and uh drew has helped us out at countless dagger clinics uh there's even been some dagger clinics that he drove to fort smith and no one showed up <laughs> but, he, but he showed up do you remember that one drew yeah we drove all the way to fort smith and uh we had another attorney with us as well and uh no one showed up today i guess no one wanted to apply that day that was back in like 2000 what was it, 2015 2014 i believe
2: yeah somewhere around there
0: and i'm surprised have, do, you, do you all know each other y'all literally work on the same street
1: no, no, was, no. This is my first uh, contact with Drew.
0: Well, I guess Drew hangs out a little bit more in the odd soul, right, <laughs> Drew? And, and Manny, I mean, Manny works at Black Apple, so I, I don't think y'all would have crossed paths then. But I would have thought you all would have seen each other at least once, all working on Emma Avenue.
2: We probably have. I mean, you know, especially with Corona. I mean, my, my trips across the street to the odd soul have become far and few, so... Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely getting excited, maybe springtime and summer to be able to walk Emma and, you know, peruse everything now that, you know, Emma has really taken off and, um, you know, there's there's more business there than there there was even three years ago.
0: And like I said, I mean, Drew's been helping us out um, throughout the different organizations that we've been a part of. Um, Drew, I guess we can kind of start with with talking about, you know, that the pro bono work that you've done for us. Um, what has kind of been a reason why you want to do that kind of work and why it's important to you? Because I feel like I can just text you at any time and say, hey, you know, as long as you don't have something going on that day, as long as you're not going to be out of state, um, you always make it a priority to show up. And, and I, I guess we've never really talked about about like uh, like why you you get involved so much.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I think it has a lot to do with um, you know, growing up with my family, I mean, my, my parents were always, you know, very involved with different charities or different, um, you know, community programs. So, you know, seeing them, you know, be willing to give their time, you know, back to the community to help others, I think just always inspired me. Um, and certainly with the the work, you know, the pro bono work um, in the immigrant community, I, I think it it has a lot to do with, um, you know, I, I know that fees are high. I mean, government filing fees for stuff can range anywhere from a couple hundred bucks to thousands and thousands of dollars. So, you know, anytime that I can donate my time to offset, you know, some of that cost that a family may not have, uh, to me, it's just a no brainer. And especially, you know, DACA clinics, citizenship clinics. Um, what else have we done? I think we've done wills and like guardianship stuff before too. Um, you know, it, it just To me, it makes sense you know, if, if you can help a community member you know, who maybe otherwise it's going to take weeks or months to save the money to pay an attorney, or they can come in, you know, meet with a competent attorney and get it filed immediately, I mean, why not do that? So uh, that's always kind of been what you know, I think has been my driving force, that it, it more than anything else, it's just helping people that you know, otherwise it may take months to get to that level that, that they could be submitting their applications.
0: And I think one of the cool things that I've seen, Drew, ever since you've been involved, I kind of feel like our community has kind of like, you know, adopted you as one of our own. <laughs> uh, we see you places and like, uh, especially within the, the organizing community, because it's tough. There's, uh, there's definitely a lot of attorneys that have like different reputations, right? And sometimes even attorneys in our own community, you know, have been either scammers or or, or, fraud or frauds. And, uh, but you've been able to kind of uh, have the respect of our community and been able to um, always like, we always find a way to involve you and it's just like a normal thing, you know? I kind of feel like uh, we see you as someone that has uh, continued to help us and have the best interest of our community. Uh, What does that mean to you to kind of be like accepted by, you know, a community that's not your own?
2: Well, I, I certainly, you know, appreciate that. And, you know, I feel like that's an honor uh, I mean, my big thing that I always tell my clients is I'm never going to lie to you. I'm, I'm always going to be blunt. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to tell you the truth. And, um, again, I think that just has to do with my background is I don't like when people lie to me. So, you know, I'm not going to lie to my clients. And, um, uh, I know I've probably rubbed some clients the wrong way with that and, and other community leaders, but you know, there, there's no reason to kind of sugarcoat or, you know, mislead or misrepresent what's going to happen. Um, you know, to me, if, it should always be very black and white and and I probably need to work on my kind of bedside manner sometimes with clients. But, um, you know, I, I think that's one of my prideful things that I'm never going to lie to somebody. So, um, you know, hearing that I I've been accepted, you know, certainly being, you know, a white guy with a red beard, you know, I stand out <laughs> usually wherever I am. Um, but, you know, to, to me, again, you know, anytime you can help your local community, whether we're brown, white, red, black, yellow, it, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, you should always try to embrace the community around you. So um, hearing that is very flattering, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm always going to try to do whatever I can to help others.
1: Drew, how and, long have you been doing immigration law?
2: So I graduated in the spring of 2012, um, but actually got involved with the immigration clinic under Elizabeth Young, who's actually a, a judge now in San Francisco. Um, my one L year, so that would be 2009. Yeah, I guess go 2010 um, that that spring semester. So um, it, it really has become you know something I'm extremely passionate about. Um, so. Man, that makes me feel old now, thinking that it's been <laughs> ten years. But um, you know, again, something. And that Andrew, I, I don't think you.
0: I don't think you've aged, man. I'm looking right at you right uh, now. I don't think you've aged. Maybe I feel maybe the camera's not close enough right now, Drew. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I think it's the good lighting in here. You know, I've got one of these ring lights or whatever, so I look. I'm sure I'm. I have ringing. a ring
0: light too. By the way, Maro was saying something about how like the cold. Uh, stretches the skin of folks, so it makes them kind of look even better. Oh, there you sweater, go. So that might have something to do with it as well. There you go. It's on podcast. I think one of the one of the things that you know, going back to what you were saying about you telling people like the truth straight up, even though they might not want to hear that, one of the things that I see a lot in our community is that. Like, they'll get told by a lawyer, like, probably you're not going to qualify for this, you know, and the people will just go to a different lawyer. Um, and I see that happen a lot. I mean, I have had conversations with, before with people who, you know, have out to me and say, you know, I've, I've either been told no by Drew, I've been told by Nathan, you know, or like, I want to get a second opinion. And a lot of the times, I mean, that second opinion is the same thing. Yeah, uh, that's got to be that's got to be very stressful, uh, you know, or or I've heard situations where folks, you know, will come get help, uh, maybe from an attorney. And because they've already gotten a note from somebody else, uh, they won't me- like to mention all the details in their case. And then that causes problems for you. How do you deal with that uh, happening? Probably a lot. Right.
2: I mean, I- I think it's one of those that just with experience, you know how to ask questions to I won't you know, the, the legal term is to impeach somebody. And, and that's never my intention when I'm talking to somebody to kind of figure out the the facts of their case. But, um, you know, you, you do kind of pick up on discrepancies that it's like, well wait a second, you know, how did we get to point C when we skipped over point B? what What happened between A and C there? Um, and, and so a lot of times it's just making sure that you're asking the right questions. And, and I know a lot of attorneys, a lot of good attorneys, you know, don't like to ask a lot of questions because they don't want to know everything. And, and to me, again, I, I think you're, you're doing a disservice to your client if you're not getting all the facts out, um, you know, and regardless if a client hires me or, you know, it's just a free initial consultation, all that's confidential anyway. So I would much rather you tell me all the bad stuff that you think may not help your case. Early on, than for us to get involved later on and come out and say, Oh, wait a second, I forgot to tell you about this. How's that affect my case? And, um, you know, have it be problematic. So it is frustrating. I, I know that clients come to us and I say, Look, I, I don't think you qualify because of this fact or, or because of this situation. Um, you know, and, and I know that they probably go to other attorneys and maybe don't tell them that. but you know, I, I would hope that other attorneys are at least asking those right questions to try to, you know, flesh everything out to, to get that right information.
0: So you you said that after probably around 2010, that's kind of when you started getting involved and, and uh, so you kind of you kind of started this profession right when things kind of picked up, you know, with, with DACA because DACA was what, 2012? Yep. And then
1: um, Yeah, he's been the
0: full lifespan of the whole thing. Pretty much. Like you just kind of came in like right at the beginning. Like that's kind of be, that's got to be very, very interesting just to kind of, you know, I'm, I'm barely starting and then DACA, like all these people applying. What is it? 800,000, I believe around 800,000 uh, nationwide. Um, how has that experience been, you know, just kind of coming into that?
2: So, I mean, that it was, I can still remember literally where I was sitting when I got the text message from somebody that said, Oh my God! Obama's going to announce. It. I think the text actually said the Dream Act, and I thought I don't remember that going through Congress. But okay, great. You know, um, I was sitting actually in a bar prep class, um, still up at the law school that summer in June when he announced it. Um, you know, for me, I, I had had one um, client during the clinic that um, had been put into removal proceedings. Was you know a straight A student at the University of Arkansas. You know, a great guy. Uh, you know, because of confidentiality, I'm not going to mention his name, but, you know, it, he he was, you know, a lot uh, or he was very involved in the media, um, you know, and that was my first thought that this individual is going to qualify for Doc and be saved. Um, you know, and, and then, you know, certainly graduating and, and starting a practice, you know, I, it did help me meet other community members. Um, you know, Irvin, I think we had met before that. Um, you know, in a variety of different things. But certainly that, you know, summer from 2012 through 2014, 2015, even, I mean, we were doing DACA clinics, you know, just about every month if we could. Um, and as you mentioned, I mean, sometimes it was one or two families that came in. Sometimes we had, you know, 30 or 40 people that came through the door. Uh, but it, it, I think to, to me, it, it, it was helpful to meet people, really kind of understand the community, understand the needs of the community. Um, you know, and, and at the same time, start helping all these, you know, individuals. I, I think in Arkansas, it was what we've had close to 5,000 individuals who have had DACA. I mean, that's that's just a, a prolific number when you think that, you know, eight years ago at this time, uh, I guess, a little over eight, eight and a half years ago, you know, there, there were no protections for most of these individuals.
0: Yeah, and I think um, you've kind of become, uh, I probably have a list of like, two or three attorneys who I reference everybody to you know it's like you Nathan and and now like of course um but I just kind of feel like our community has kind of seen you all over the place and and, and trust you you know and it, and and you literally started right when things were starting to get picked up and people were organizing the most here in Northwest Arkansas um so that was back in 2012 when DACA um did did things pick up for you like I guess when did you actually start uh practicing was it 2000
2: yeah so 2012 so I I studied for the bar that whole summer um I was working for a a law firm while I was studying for the bar um you know with the intention that as soon as I passed I would I would start working for them full-time so um I got sworn in on September 7th I think of 2012 Um, you know and and immediately hit the ground running and of course that was right when DACA was really picking up Um, I think we could start filing what August of that year I think it was a two-month or maybe it was a 90-day window Um, but I mean you know the timing wise was almost perfect that literally I've graduated I've passed the bar I'm licensed to be an attorney and you know now DACA's ramping up and here we go so uh, I mean, it, you're you're right on there. It, it literally was as soon as I was licensed to work, I you know I was doing Dacas from day one.
0: So things have, of course, be with the Trump administration, uh, eventually it, it got to the point where DACA wasn't fully active, right? You know, the, we had the now people have to renew their permit, I believe, every year. Uh, still having the same $495 fee. Uh, advanced parole uh, had ended unfortunately and that affected a lot of us you know it affected us a lot just because of you know our plans and stuff um thinking about it now um i guess since it's been fully reinstated um that changed from not being not having it as active as it as it was um like how how did that affect your work um did you spend a lot of time having to explain to uh your your clients in regards to like what they could qualify for And, and what about the folks who like uh, were could normally apply for DACA for the first time and weren't able to because I know, even in the even in the DACA clinics that we had, you know, we had to tell folks that like we're coming in with their parents, you know, unfortunately you can't qualify right now the way things are.
2: Yeah, um, I mean that that was certainly tough. I I remember one instance in particular that, you know, if, if you guys go back to to September of twenty seventeen when when Trump made the I guess it was actually Sessions. Um, when then attorney general Jeff Sessions made the announcement, it was literally the Tuesday after labor day. Mm. Uh, so, you know, I had worked all the way up through Friday, you know, took labor day weekend off, um, actually had three DACA filings that we were just missing something. So we didn't send them out on Friday. Like we normally would, um, you know, literally get into the office. Um, I think my assistant Lorena, I'd, I'd had her call one of them to say, Hey, you know, we're still missing this. Can you bring that by today? And I'll ship it out today. You know, and then at 10 a.m., you know, on what was it, the 5th or 6th, um, you know, we get this kind of memo that comes across the wire that they're taking away initial DACAs, you know, right now. I mean, there, there was no moratorium period of like they did with the extensions for the renewals that will let you try to renew for six more months. Um, and then we're taking away, I think, on you know March or whatever of 2018. I mean, those initials literally stopped dead in our tracks that day. Mm-hmm. um and, and that was tough because you know calling those families back to say hey you know i'm sorry you know we we weren't able to file on time for you here's how things are changing um you know i, I think a lot of families were upset they were scared because they thought that their children were going to pre- be protected um you know and, and then certainly living through the last four years of of different changes through the trump administration i think has put people you know more on edge for sure
1: yeah drew I- Maybe for some people who aren't as familiar with um, that dif- that difference in immigration status, what what does that mean for somebody? You know, obviously it's super strict. Like you said, a deadline of just a day, even just a few hours, in in that exact case, um, change somebody's immigration status. So not having that protection, what does that actually mean?
2: Yeah. So with the DACA program. Um, and I could go into a history lesson, you know, but uh, basically with DACA, it afforded individuals who met certain criteria. Um, usually, the the biggest ones that you had to have been in the country before two thousand seven, had to have entered the country before your sixteenth birthday, um, been in the country on June fifteenth of two thousand twelve when they actually made the announcement. Um, you had to be in school, um, graduated, or pursuing a GED type program, um, and then no criminal history, um, and so. You know, there, there you know, were qualifiers on that criminal, hitter. there still are as well that, you know, no DWIs, no domestic violence, um, you know, simple traffic tickets, you know, could count against you. You only get two convictions before you could lose your DACA. So uh, they created this program that had, you know, very finite, you know, parameters as to who qualified and who didn't. Uh, the benefit of DACA, of course, is if you qualified... You would get a a two-year deferred action you know period that the government agreed that they wouldn't try to actively deport you they'd give you the opportunity to get a work authorization which you know for most of us in arkansas you know was so very very crucial to the undocumented community because right now for listeners that don't know uh, you have to have immigration status to get a driver's license in the state of arkansas Uh, you have to have you know immigration you know um, status to get a social security number so by getting that institution as well, right, yeah. right now? Well, yeah. uh, ish. Yeah. I mean, through NWAC, yes. Um, the, the university of Arkansas system has still never fully adopted that, which has mm-hmm. been a huge headache for me, but, um, you know, getting that work authorization gave these added protections and these benefits for all these kids. And I mean, even some adults, I mean, cause you could be, um, you know, 31 or under the age of 31 at, um, June 15th of 2012 when this was announced. I mean, a lot of adults, you know, qualified for it. Um, So, I mean, it it was a great program. I could certainly go into aspects of it that I'm not fond of, but, um, you know, giving these, these kids, these young adults, you know, the opportunity to work, to go to school, to support themselves, um, you know, we could quantify it too and talk about the dollar amount that's been contributed to the local economy. But, you know, if if anything else, it just, it, it gave peace of mind, I think, to the community as a whole.
1: Yeah. And like you said, it was like five, we have like a, a, a group of 5,000 ish yeah. in, in Northwest Arkansas.
2: Yeah. Uh, I mean, great, great numbers. Um, you know, and, and the, the monetary aspect of course is, is something that, you know, kind of defenders of the program, you know, I'm, I'm guilty of it too. We always try to go to and say, you know, well the spending power of the, the documented community is is X amount of dollars now because they've got this work authorization, which is great. I mean, I, I think it's good to show that, but I also don't like to put dollar signs on people and say, "Well, this is why we should keep the program because they're they're giving this back to the local and federal you know um, yeah. communities with taxpayer dollars." I mean, that to me is always wishy-washy. I mean, the undocumented community by far don't or you know doesn't donate, are charged, you know, pays more in taxes every year than than the documented or TPS communities. So, you know, I think quantifying it with dollar amounts is always a little suspect, but. know certainly the the benefits as a whole you know with that peace of mind with parents keeping their kids in school and encouraging them to to go to college you know i
0: i think is only furthered and bettered the local community and the requirements have stayed the same right with it be the being fully reinstated now because i know folks are still i mean you know um if i did if i wasn't in the country on june 15 2007 if i if i came here 2009 2010 uh, they unfortunately still wouldn't qualify, correct? Correct.
2: Yeah, the, there, there was a change um, for actually the, the parent program, if, if everybody remembers back in November of 2014, um, President Obama went on national television and ex, uh, announced an expansion of the DACA program and also was going to create this parent program, um, which went through the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals um, down in Texas and, and ultimately got stayed and, and dropped. Uh, yeah, but the, the requirements are still that you had to have been in the country before your 16th birthday and before June 15th of 2007.
1: Mm. Yeah, and Irvin, for, for those people that maybe don't know when you say like it's been reinstated, um, what's that recent news? Well,
0: I mean, I'm not, maybe maybe Drew can in it in better words.
2: Yeah, so... Um, the, you know, going back again to September of 2017, the, the Trump administration said they're getting rid of the program. Um, fortunately, that got stayed, but only for renewals. So for the last three years, three plus years, only individuals that had DACA before could keep renewing it. Um, there was a Supreme Court case this summer that I think to a lot of us, we are shocked that uh, Chief Justice Roberts actually sided with the kind of more liberal side of, of the court. Agreed that the Trump administration could not take away DACA and undo it, uh, which was a huge victory at the time. Of course, there was some meddling then afterwards, and so the the cases continued to be fought since June, um, you know, up until about a couple weeks ago when finally a a judge said, Look, I mean, you guys are kind of dancing around the issue. DACA needs to be fully reinstated as it was. Um, So, what that means now is any individual that maybe never had DACA and still qualified for it. Uh, can now seek DACA and be able to to go through and, and submit their applications to get that protection.
0: So that's good news. I mean, we're hoping, we're hoping that, like, with the new administration coming in on the 21st of January, that there is some sort of uh, not only reversing uh, of, of uh, some of the bad actions that the Trump administration did, but at the same time, you know, hopefully... Uh, have a better, a bigger plan that includes more people, because there's still folks, you know, that don't qualify for DACA. There's still our parents or grandparents, folks who never qualified for anything, unfortunately, and are still living in the shadows. Um, one of the also good news, you know, for more for the uh, Central American community was uh, TPS. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there was an extension, I'm not sure, I haven't seen much of it on the media yet, Drew, but I think it's already official, right, that, that, for example, for the Salvadorian community, I believe, uh which was tps was supposed to end on january 4th that it's been extended to october 21st of next year is that right um
2: i think it's yeah it's october 4th 2021 maybe it is october 21st um all those dates are starting to run together but yeah i mean I, again a, another huge benefit and you know we'll call it a win of sorts uh, the individuals that you know i mean we're we're getting close to that you know within a month of employers starting to, to ask their employees you know hey what's What's going on with your work authorization? If you don't have a, a work authorization, you know you you may lose your job with us. Um, so certainly getting that extension out to October is good. I think that kind of now puts us in that safety realm that I, I don't envision the Biden you know administration trying to take away TPS like like the Trump administration has tried to do for the last couple of years. So uh, again, I, I think as you alluded to, Irvin, hopeful that maybe there's an expansion of TPS, um, not only covering you know El Salvador and Honduras in um, other countries, but, you know, maybe also looking to Mexico and South American countries to, you know, really include more individuals to get those benefits and those protections.
0: Yes, and I think, you know, it's, it's, it's really stressful, specifically these past few weeks, because I was getting a lot of messages from folks, you know, specifically working in the poultry industry, who were already telling me that they were already receiving notification from their boss saying, hey, if you don't have a work permit by this day, uh, you can't come back to work. Um, but this is big news. Um, the fact that they will be able to continue working and no, it's, it's, we're in a very gray area because I feel like there's no way of telling what the future holds in regards to like what the Biden administration will do. Mm -hmm. Uh, like I want to be hopeful, you know, I want to, I want to be hopeful and say that this administration that's coming is going to definitely be better than the administration right now in regards to immigration issues. Um, but it's, it's kind of even difficult to try to get my hopes up, you know, it's like, uh, what, if, what if immigration reform does not happen in these next four years? Um, and we kind of have like our, our guard up, but um, how do you feel? Do you feel hopeful about the upcoming administration in regards to, to progress? Not, not in regards to like reversing things to how they were, but in regards to actual real progress in immigration, Drew?
2: Yeah, I, I, I think just by my nature, I'm always hopeful and always try to find you know, the, the silver lining in everything. Um, I'm right there with you. I, I think a lot of people keep saying, great, Biden won. Let's roll everything back to the Obama years. And it's like, ah, I think we've, you know, kind of put some rose-colored glasses on now and forgot that there were a lot of things under the or the uh, Obama administration that we really didn't like and and weren't huge fans of in, in the work that we do. Um, so I, I am hopeful. I, I hope that they take those steps forward. I, You know, one of the biggest things, you know, talking about DACA is that it's based on, you know, this DREAM Act that, you know. It looks like from polling from across the aisle, you know, the vast majority of Americans support some sort of Dream Act passage. Um, so I would think that the Republicans, Republicans and the Democrats, would want to try to get together and pass that to kind of, you know, if, if anything else, pelt, pat themselves on the back and say, look, what what a great job we did. We just, you know, created a pathway to residency or to citizenship for X amount of people. Um, but I think with how polarized our political system is now um, and what the makeup of the House and the Senate is going to look like, at least for the next two years, um, I, I think any sort of bipartisan reform bill that, that would go through both and, and have to pass and then be signed, um, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm not super hopeful that, that we're going to see that in these next two years.
1: Right. Especially whenever uh, you consider that we're still in the middle of a pandemic and and. Knowing the administration, knowing the candidate, the way that he is, um, you know, they're going to try to address that first. Um, th- the dream, obviously, is that they address immigration within the first hundred days, like like it was initially promised. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, it's it's such a weird time. You can't. It's it, it was hard to hold a politician to their word before. Who knows now, right? Yeah,
2: yeah, definitely. I mean, again, I, I think we're all hopeful of that. But, you know, again, timing literally could not be worse. Um, you know, I, I always go back to the original DREAM Act in 2001 that um, I, I think Durbin and, and Orrin Hatch had, you know, offered it up, I think, in August of 2001. And, and it looked like it was going to pass, at least from the research I've gone back and looked at. And then of course, we have September 11th. And then there's kind of this, you know, anti, you know, immigrant um, sentiment that kind of spread through the country and spread through Congress. And then, you know, the Dream Act has never passed. So um, again, hopefully we can see some real progress and some real change. But um, I, I think I'm right there with both of you. It's it's going to be probably the pandemic stuff first, and then maybe, you know, pick back up, hopefully summertime, fallish. ish
0: And uh, going back to like the fees, you know, the DACA fees right now, it being still $495, uh we've launched a fundraiser which we'll be sharing the links on our instagram our facebook and our twitter uh, where people can donate we're trying to fundraise ten thousand dollars uh we already have two thousand dollars promised out of the gofundme so uh, it'd be a total of twelve thousand dollars so we could hopefully cover 24 dacas for our kansas living uh, living here uh i want to thank bobby howard for uh coming up well we both came up with it but um he helped out initiate like initially fundraise for the first $2,000 um, and the fund me is already at 7,000. So that's a lot of money. And if you want to donate, we'll be sharing the links on Twitter, uh, Facebook, and, um, and Instagram. Uh, and where can people, if they want to contact you uh, for your services, Drew, where can people reach you?
2: Yeah. So um, our office is right off Emma street. We've got the big kind of Royal blue. I, I think it looks purple, but you've got a really
0: nice, a really nice door. Don't you? Like uh, a really nice and- red door.
2: Well, we've painted it all. Yeah. So it's all blue okay. now, or this purple color. Okay. <laughs> I, I think it's purple. Uh, my partners think it's blue. So that's always been a fun argument for the last six months about what the color of our, our door and our um, um, overhang really are. But yeah, we're right on Emma at 111 um, West Emma Avenue. So right there kind of at the corner of um, Holcomb and, and Emma Street. Um, we, we do initial consultations for free. So clients can always call us at uh, 479 717-2278. Um, my staff is bilingual, so, you know, we, we can interact and, and talk, um, you know, freely and openly about everything. So, um, yeah, we, we love to, to help people when they call. If, you know, we can't help them, we can certainly redirect them to, um, like Irvin was saying, I, I have kind of a list of trusted attorneys, too, that I feel comfortable referring out mm-hmm. to, um, that I know and, and trust that these individuals will, will do their, the right thing and, and not overcharge or, you know, lead,
0: lead clients astray. Well, thank you for your time, Drew. Uh, that's the end of the episode this week. Uh, we'll definitely be in contact with you again so we can uh, hopefully continue to update our community on what's going on with DACA and TPS. Um, and uh, and yeah, definitely stop by Drew's office. Thanks for that-
2: thank you guys. It was thank, a pleasure to be you, here. Drew.